On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Ida. Being a medical doctor, it doesn't come from the fact that I only thought that I can be effective if I work in a clinic. But for me, there is, a, I would call it a gap to have like more medical doctors and more professionals in the healthcare system to actually work with IT specialists because at the end of the day, the whole uh, objective of doing such a thing is to actually create something. Ida, thanks for making time. Thanks a lot for having me. So a couple of things. First, can you teach us how to pronounce your last name correctly? And then second, will you give us the elevator pitch on, on Lux AI? Sure. Uh, so uh, my family name is Nazari Hora, and the first name is Aida. And basically, in LuxAI, what we are doing is to actually use uh, the latest advancement in AI and robotic to actually build solutions for the healthcare system. And in particular, our first product is called QT Robot, which is a humanoid expressive robot which has been built uh, for children with autism. So the main objective of having such a robot is that a lot of times it's difficult for children to interact with humans, which are uh, most of the time like therapists and the educators. And the robot is basically a tool which can connect them and which can facilitate this interaction. And as a result, it can prove the learning opportunities for children with autism. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, and you've had kind of an interesting story. Can you tell us a little bit about um, becoming a doctor in Iran, London School of Business. Now you're uh, a spin-out of University of Luxembourg co-founder. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting story because, uh, as you mentioned, I started uh, medicine in Iran. And then after seven years, I graduated from it and I started working as a clinician with this objective in mind to become a specialist in, uh, for example, like cardiology. And then after that, uh, because of the family reasons, we moved to Luxembourg. And then uh, I started interacting with uh, a lot of like people with the background of AI and robotic because of uh, my husband. And then I got introduced into the world of like technology. And then based on my medical background, I was always imagining that there are a lot of like scenarios and many problems and uh, challenges in the healthcare system that it would be really amazing to actually be able to address them by using technology. And then because I was like in the environment to have like a very good access to people working in AI and robotics, we actually, after a lot of like discussions and brainstorming, we actually came up with the idea of QT. And of course, at the beginning, it was uh, more on the research side to actually figure out that is there any 
kind of like scientific backup for such a thing and is it going to be a valuable tool or is just like you know like a fancy robot which doesn't really address something but then we realized that actually there is a lot of evidence that the robots can really uh, impact the way that children with autism live and impact uh, their social skills but not a lot of like commercially available solutions so basically at this point we decided that um, given my medical background and uh, my husband's background in robotic probably we are a good team to actually start commercializing and build something for that and this is how it started that uh, we got a proof of concept project from the uh, Fond National Research in Luxembourg and then after that we went to London Business School to actually learn more about like business and how to create like a you know like a commercially viable uh, business plan and a solution and then it followed by uh, three years of working Lux AI and now we are here. <laughs> well it's interesting you know and and for people that want to see this, if you go to luxai.com, you can see this robot with all these facial expressions. But it's interesting, um, you know, uh, where my family lived last, we had a, a autistic boy next door who <laughs> spent a lot of time at our house. And, um, and we've had other friends and stuff. And so it's interesting for me to see these videos of these kids interacting with the robots and the arms going up and down and the facial expressions. Uh, where did the idea come from? Basically, like the idea came from the fact that um, children with autism have a lot of like difficulties in interpreting social situations, understanding what is happening in the communication uh, with a human partner. And it basically starts from the fact that the humans are really complex you know we have a lot of like emotions going on a lot of facial expression body movement changing the voice of um, like the people who, uh, who are talking and then we thought that basically if we can simplify all of these things it will give a lot of learning opportunity to children to actually practice it with something which is simpler more exaggerated and somehow like more predictable and then of course because it's similar to human it would be easier for them to generalize these skills afterward so the idea that the cutie should look really expressive and the expressions should be very exaggerated but in the same time very simple actually come from the idea that we thought that okay one of the main objectives while working with children with autism is to make them comfortable with understanding the facial expressions of the people and they can interpret them in order to have like a more a smooth uh, communication with others. And of course, we wanted a humanoid robot in order to be also able to integrate gestures related to communication. And this is actually how we came to the idea of a little humanoid robot, which is somehow like similar to astronaut. So we can integrate also these fa uh, facial expressions and expressiveness to it. Well, you guys have done a great job. I mean, I think the idea that it looks and feels like a toy, like I can see my kids at home wanting to play with this thing. <laughs> so it probably makes it that much more likely that, you know, if the other brothers and sisters want to play with it and it just, it looks and feels like a toy and is so uh, immersive of, of kind of an experience where it feels interactive, it's got to be more magnetic for these kids to want to 
use it enough that it helps them. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, basically, like the idea is that uh, we think that QT, even though that is like an educational tool, but it, educational tool, but it should be in the same time like likable and approachable. You know, children should not have like any fears when it comes to the robot. Sometimes when the robot is like too futuristic or doesn't have this kind of like um, toy effects on it, children are a little bit difficult to motivate to interact with it. Sometimes they are scared. Sometimes they don't know what to expect. But the general overview of cutie for me is like a toddler. And the reason that we choose these proportions and this approach was that uh, we wanted to make something which is like very friendly and uh, somehow like very approachable and likable. Yeah. So it actually helps children to interact with it. Sure. So um, I know you guys have had a lot of, of good response to it, but what, what are some of the uh, what are some of the reactions? What are some of the positive things that have happened uh, for the for the company? It, it's actually amazing, you know. Like uh, when we started this. We really believed, based on, for example, the uh, research which has done previous to us, that the robot is going to be effective. But for me, personally, like the best moment in the history of Luxair was the first time that we actually put it in front of the robot, for, in front of the child for the first time. And I saw the reaction of the child. And then after that, it continued with having like more children working with the robot and seeing that how it actually like improves their engagement and improves their willingness to actually come to the therapy sessions and really try their best to actually uh, do the task that the robot is giving to them in order to get like a very positive and reinforcement um, reaction from uh, from the robot. And it, it, you know, it's it really impossible to actually like describe the feeling because you have to see that what happens when you don't have a robot in the room and then what happens when you use the robot and you see that the, the you know the big smile in the face of the children and the fact that they constantly look at the robot and you see that they are doing the therapy but more importantly they are engaged with it and they are enjoying what they are learning from the robot and for me personally it's it's like the this this is like the highlight of uh, what we have seen in Luxem in Luxair. That's so fun. Let's do this. Let's take a quick uh, break from our sponsor, and then I've got some more questions for you. Okay. So before the sponsor break, um, we we were talking about all these different things with with how the robot helps. Um, but to me, it's fascinating that you you've done all this work to become a medical doctor, and then you have all the technology issues of inventing something like this, and then the business issues of, you know, running a successful business to commercialize it. Um, can you talk about how those three have intersected for you or what, what you feel like one of the main lessons you've learned as you've tried to get the three of them to intersect? So for me, like personally, um, you know, like being a medical doctor, it doesn't come from the fact that I only thought that I can be effective if I work in a clinic. But for me, there is, a, I would call it a gap to have like more medical doctors and more professionals in the healthcare system to actually work with IT specialists because at the end of the day, the whole uh, objective of doing such a thing is to actually create something which can make a difference in healthcare system. And in my opinion, like 
not having medical doctors or healthcare professionals on board really like damages this impact. You need somebody who has been working in the environment who really understand what is expected in the healthcare system and what is like the thing that the patients and the other uh, colleagues in uh, healthcare want. And I really think that it, it can make a great impact in building a, a more acceptable and more sustainable solution that can e easily be integrated in the healthcare system. And of course, this was the first idea that I thought like, maybe by doing uh, what I'm doing now, I would be more impactful and more effective in improving the health of the people just rather than just like being a clinician. But also in the same time, um, you know, like entrepreneurship as a total is, is really a fascinating environment for me because it gives you the opportunity to actually interact with a lot of like bright and motivated people which are really like changing the world and they are building something that doesn't exist before and it's totally based on their vision and their innovation and for me I, I really enjoy to be involved in creation of the product but also I really in, enjoy to make a business out of it because if you consider for example research and uh, development it's only interesting when you can actually see uh, the impact in the outside world of, for example, like the university labs or somewhere. So for me, the business side is really interesting because you can actually see your product in action. You can see uh, people are using it and you can see how it has uh, hopefully like improved uh, what they were doing before. So for me, the combination of medicine and technology as well as entrepreneurship is something really interesting that allows you to be creative, allows you to be, you know, like allows you to dare to try new things. And I really enjoy doing what we are doing here now. Yeah. So, um, you know, knowing there are so many challenges in building an organization um, that can, you know, A, get a technology to actually work, but B, have it become commercially viable, get, you know, get the word out, get people actually interested in it becoming a, a financially viable organization. Um, yes. What are some of the principles that you have, have really found the most important as working together as a team and actually accomplishing your goals? Basically, for me, like one of the extremely important things is to uh, either have some people with a understanding from a business on board or being able to get advice from people who are actually experienced in this field because um, usually like what happens is that like a lot of times like people who are from the background of research or technology they try to build a new business and they don't have enough experiences in order to make a right business model out of it to actually make it sustainable and commercially uh, viable. So for us, um, being able to go to London Business School was an extremely uh, good experience because there we had the chance to actually like discuss our idea and what we want to do with a lot of like experienced mentors and get a lot of support from the people who are knowledgeable in the field. And then based on that, we were more conscious about the business that we want to create and uh, the decisions that we want to take. But in the same time, what I see absolutely really important is actually having this strategy to a step by a step when you develop something, immediately test it with the users 
not only from the functionality of the technology that you are building, but also from like the business side to actually see if beside the technology, is there a market? Is there somebody who is willing to accept it as a new product and actually be a paying customer? So this is really important to have in mind that uh, have some people in the team that they have this um, approach to the things to actually not only validate it from technology point of view, but also validate it as a viability in the market and see if it's going to end up as a business or it's just like, a, you know, a technology which is cool, but it doesn't have like any business impact or a market for it. Sure. So I'm, I'm interested in what that looked like for you. You know, that's that's advice that entrepreneurs hear a lot and they 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 regurgitate that and then so many folks they just sit in their office and invent it all by themselves without talking to people anyways even though they know better so i'm interested in what that actually looked like for you guys validating it actually like the in our actually we started really early with with testing with children and autism professionals but even though that we started with our first prototype, which was like a tiny 3D printed robot, and it was quite early, now when I look back, I think that we could start earlier and it would be even better to actually start much earlier. Because for me, this kind of like user experience and this kind of field trials are the one who actually clarify what you have to build. You know, sitting in the office, you spend so much time, you put so much effort and cash into developing something, which at the end of the day, you don't know if it is something that the real users want. I once heard something very interesting and uh, it was about if you, uh, for example, like show your um, first time that you show your product or your solution to somebody and then afterward, you were not really ashamed of your, uh, you know, like prototype or something, it, it means that you are really uh, late <laughs> to actually like trying it and and now like after three years of like working in Luxaya, i really see it i really see what is the point in it i mean like the first day that you have a minimum minimum uh, solution is the day that you have to put it out you have to give people the opportunity to actually use it and build on top of their uh, feedbacks otherwise it would be, in my opinion, very rare that somebody get a, you know, get a big success from a product which is just developed in one office and it has never been co-developed really by the users. Well, I want to talk about that because so many, so many of us, we get that advice and then when it comes right down to it, we don't want to be embarrassed. We, we want to look like we know what we're doing. We want to look like we're successful. Any thoughts on kind of, leading with humility and having the guts to go out and be willing to be embarrassed even when we don't feel like it? But you know, for me, like all of these things that you say, it's somehow a big part of like being an entrepreneur. I mean, like if you're scared or not comfortable with, uh, you know, being uh, a little bit like, you know, embarrassed about what you say or what you do or if you think that like from day one everybody should believe in you i mean you don't have the the character for entrepreneurship in my opinion entrepreneurship means like a lot of like tries and error a lot of like bad feedback a lot of rejection but you have to be able to absorb them and learn from them and then move to the next step 
otherwise it's it's very rare to see like a very young person which they are the first time entrepreneurs and they do everything in the level of perfection from the beginning it's always about i don't know receiving the feedback it can be positive it can be negative a lot of people may not believe in what you see but it's this is the core of like being an entrepreneur so if you cannot handle it probably this would be too much this would be too stressful for a person <laughs> i like it well um besides you know we're, we're about out of time for the first half of the interview but but maybe to wind down we'll ask one of my favorite questions um you already said that you would have liked to have got out there and do testing even earlier than you did What's another piece of advice you would want to give an earlier version of yourself if you could go back and give yourself advice? Oh, you know, like after like three years, I have so many advices for myself. It's actually very difficult to choose one of them. But as I said, like the most important thing is to actually like have more people on board from the day one, not necessarily, for example, in the company because it's not so viable, but then have the opinion of a lot of people so if you can be able to actually share your uh, business idea with as many people as possible i think it, it can make a big difference you know I, I really don't like people who don't like to share their idea if they're i don't know scared that somebody sees their idea or if they want to further develop it and share it i mean for me, like the, from the day one that you have an opinion, you have to share it with everybody because a lot of times you receive very impactful feedback that really change your business model. And then as soon as it happens, it's better. I love it. Well, everybody, please tune back in to part two of our interview. We're going to keep asking Ida about inventing the future with robotics and healthcare. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy, uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York, and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or four hundred million dollars. Anyways, he uh, he started a new company called BlipBillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard. Um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. At Farmers Insurance, we have concrete evidence that parking under an industrial cement mixer, that's just asking for trouble. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.